I'm Alex Breitenbach. And I'm Sean Cabrera. And this is the Big Red Hockey Cast, the official podcast of Cornell Big Red Hockey, produced by the Big Red Sports Network. As always, thanks for listening. And check out the Big Red Sports Network at Cornell BRSN on Instagram to never miss out on any Big Red action. Well, just as how the regular hockey season ended ages ago, this episode will wrap up season one of the Big Red Hockey Cast. In this season finale, the 25th episode of the Big Red Hockey Cast, a quarter of a century's worth of episodes, we have the legend himself, the man who's helped foster Cornell ice hockey culture for decades, who has helped mold and shape some of the best talents in the college hockey world. Of course, it is my honor to announce that we got the Coach Schaefer. So without further ado, let's jump right into the sin bin. Welcome back to this edition of the Sin Bin here on the Big Red Hockey Cast, the final episode of the podcast season. And of course, today we are joined by a very, very special guest. We've been waiting all year for this man to be on the show. So we finally have him, Coach Mike Schaefer. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. Well, of course, it is a true honor. And without further ado, we'll just jump right in. So, you know, Let's take it back to the beginning of the season. Can you describe your feelings on October 16th of last year? You know, the Big Red finally retook the ice to play an exhibition game against our Ivy League rivals, Princeton. And after such a long and frustrating hiatus, you know, what did that feel like? Well, I mean, it, every, every year at the start of the year, you always have a lot of uh, concerns as a coach going into the season. I mean, it was actually get back to, uh, on the ice was exciting. Um, but uh, just going into the year, you know, um, a lot of concerns with just regards to the fact that we hadn't played in over a year, had a lot of, not a new faces on our team, uh, over 14 guys that had never played college hockey before. You know, a lot of guys that, uh, had only played right up to the very end to where they, you know, they started, uh, or that we, we finished up, they didn't get a chance to play in playoffs and, that new goal, uh, no goaltender was ever played in, in a uh, uh, collegiate game before. And so there, there was a lot of just a lot of questions. And there is always a lot of questions. You always wonder every year. But this was uh, provide a little bit more anxiety that I probably wished it would have that time of year with uh, going into the season with, with so many unknowns. Um, so it was it was exciting uh, to get back and practice and to start to to get after it again. And but there was just, a, a, again, a lot of anxiety also with regards to where we're going to go, how successful we're going to be and, and uh, what, what kind of season would it be. Well, and, and I was actually just going to ask about that, you know, because it's, it's not very often we get coaching administration officials on. And I, I, I was wondering, you know, over the course of the pandemic, like, you know, did your mindset or, or practice scheme ever have to adapt to, to, you know, either conditions of the pandemic or just, you know, what you were preparing for in terms of, okay, we got to be ready you know, whenever we're going back, you know, this is what we're going to do. We have our plan. You know, I, it, we had made so many plans over a year and a half that, that all of them kind of went up in smoke. And, and uh, um, I think that what we just did was just, again, prepare uh, like it was going to be a regular season. Um, 
you know, have the mentality that it was going to happen no matter what. Uh, we kind of saw early signs of that at Cornell early in the year uh, that, that uh, we were going to make it work. And so, you know, it, it felt like, you know, uh, you know, normal in the sense of our preparation through, through September and October. Um, but yeah, it, 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 before that it was just uh, so many cancellations and everything else that uh, the previous year was just, you know, honestly, it was just a, you try to keep the guys as active that were on campus as possible. Um, and there wasn't that many. And, and, and uh, uh, but when we came back in August, it was uh, really was full goal and it was ready, ready to, you know, said start a new year and do all the things that, you know, the team building and the training and the teaching and all the things that have gone on in the past, you know, kind of kickstarted them again and, and uh, got ready for the year. Yeah. No, no, that's, and it was certainly a very, very special moment, I know, for all of the faithful to finally be back in that hallowed arena. It was certainly a long time coming. And, you know, of course, it, it means a lot to coach any organization. But, you know, what to you is so special about coaching for your alma mater? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, right from when I first came down and watched the game at Lyon for the first time as a recruit, knowing that that's where I wanted to play and, and then obviously playing and um, having all the memories of the time when you're here as a student and doing the same things that all other students do. And, um, you know, and just having that, uh, you know, come back here and, um, you know, just, just working at Cornell and, and coaching at Cornell and, and getting an opportunity to coach the type of student athletes that really represent the best in college athletics. And I think that uh, our crowd and fans and, and everything else, um, you know, it just makes it a special place to coach too. And, you know, going out and seeing the excitement that students, the townspeople, faculty have for the sport of hockey. And, you know, so it's, it's just a special combination of um, athletics. And, and to me, it really truly represents, you know, what a university would want in an athletic program, something that kind of combines that uh, um, atmosphere, school spirit and pride that just doesn't happen just with our students, but, happens with our, as I said, with our townspeople, faculty, and alumni, wherever we travel. And I think that's what athletics is supposed to do is provide a tremendous experience for, you know, for the, for the student athletes. And, but more important, it's supposed to provide us a tremendous experience for the students on campus, you know, something where they can really go on a Friday and Saturday night and let loose that uh, doesn't really have anything to do with alcohol or, you know, that social aspect of it. It has to do something just you know, cheering for your university and cheering and having pride in your school. And I think that Cornell hockey does that best. Uh, um, and it does it better than a lot of other places I've seen across the country. Now, of course, coach adjacent to that subject, you know, let's take it back to your playing career with the big red. So we were wondering if you can speak to the difficulty of being a student athlete at an institution such as Cornell and maybe how you have seen that, or if there have been any changes in what it means to be a student athlete over the years? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, we played less games back then. I think we started a little bit later. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Ivy League rules are even more stringent uh, with regards to it. So probably the biggest thing is, is, is just the technology. I mean, just for all students, I mean, technology in the sense that, you know, you see our guys going on the road and, you know, uh, have the ability to do work on the road and, you know, when you left campus on, on a Thursday, you know, you weren't getting any lectures, you weren't getting any, 
uh, notes. You weren't, you know, you were gone. I mean, you were gone for those three days and that was it. But, you know, technology just, uh, you know, has aided, I think, our student athletes, all students. Uh, but I think it's especially helped our athletes. And then uh, class time and, and now with Zoom, even more important, I think, with the last three or four years, uh, it, it's really helped our athletes a, a tremendous amount. I mean, um, again, when you're when you're off campus and you can do a, a project and meet with your group, you know, uh, on a Thursday night when you're when you're in uh, Dartmouth or wherever you are. So I, I think it's it's uh, technology has really helped. Um, yeah, I think student athletes and I, I do think that the student athletes are you know, much more committed. In everything they do as far as um, just in general, the how much weight training, you know, what they do to prepare themselves for games and how they take care of themselves. I think that's, you know, there's no question that's increased uh, over the course of time. So coach, I think what, uh, what we're getting from that is you're saying that Zoom is a godsend in some ways. <laughs> It, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, there's nothing, uh, nothing better than face to face. But I mean, yeah, Zoom is. Um, you, you think about just even doing this podcast, right? You know, and having to do it live versus doing it Zoom. I mean, uh, be able to, the ability to catch up with alumni and put, you know, our, our alumni and friends all in one place and, and get a chance to that for for our alumni to speak to our athletes before you had to bring them to campus you know, and organize their schedule. Now you can do a Zoom where, you know, these guys and, and uh, uh, girls and, and students can, can, you know, grab knowledge from, from people that have gone before them. So it's a, it is, but it's, it's also at the same time, uh, there's nothing better than being at the rink, not on Zoom, you know, and uh, uh, that face-to-face -face is, is something that's uh, so important. So it's helped, no question. Well, and, and coach, I, I just uh, realized you just mentioned, you know, alumni. Can you speak on your relationship that you built up over the years, you know, with prominent alumni, you know, from the Big Red, like, uh, say, Ju uh, Joe Newendig, perhaps? Well, I, mean, I think that longevity really helps you with your, you know, your alumni. I mean, I you know, came here in 1982. So, you know, I, I know, you know, um, obviously four years of the guys I played that I stayed as assistant coach and, and recruited guys for another four years. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of an era between 93, 94, 95, where I don't really, you know, some of those seniors I never recruited or coached, but so it, my, my history with our alumni spans over a long time. And then just over the course of time, just getting to know guys, I mean, I said longevity, you know, aids in that. And, and, um, you know, there are a lot of our famous alumni. I mean, I said, Nunek, I played with them, um, and, and I coached them for a year and then, he lives here in town, you know, in, in the summer. So, you know, I, I think that uh, that's the benefit of any coach that's been in a place a long time. You develop relationships, uh, you know, with your present athletes, but definitely of the past. And talking about a little bit of throwbacks there, you know, after winning the championship back in 1986 upon your graduation, you returned, of course, as aforementioned, as the assistant coach of the Big Red. So, was it difficult for you at first to find your way in coaching being so young and, you know, potentially green in that regard? Yeah, I, I think it was, I mean, but I mean, every coach, uh, uh, in a, the way I look at it is every, every coach starts somewhere. And, and, right. you know, I was fortunate at that point in time, you know, I got engaged my senior year and got married the year, year and a half or a year later. And, um, you know, I didn't go on to play hockey and I was fortunate Lou Raycroft offered me a position you know, as I was graduating and, 
you know, I had thought about coaching a little bit and, and uh, um, you know, I, I was very grateful for Lou for getting me into this business. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was, was a tremendous opportunity. So, uh, it, you know, it was a little bit different with, with the athletes, you know, mm-hmm. from being a senior to um, right into coaching. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is I was on the road an awful lot too. And, you know, I, I, on the road recruiting. So, you know, the, you spend quite a bit of time as an assistant coach away from, from campus and, and it's just your priorities. I mean, it's easy to set boundaries and, you know, and, and uh, you can come back and, you know, this is the way I used to be in and I'm not going to be that way anymore. And, you know, you're not out socializing with them. You're not doing all those things, but there was a respect factor. I think that, that, you know, our, the guys in the team had for me as a captain and, and, uh, you know, that kind of carried over, but, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a weird transition for a couple of years. Yeah. And, uh, and I just wanted to quickly ask this as well, is because, you know, you coming in as a, as a young coach, um, we also recently had Topher Scott on the podcast who was one who also, you know, played here and went on to become an assistant coach. So what advice did you give Topher when he came to you and he wanted to continue his hockey career, but he wanted to get into coaching? I just think the biggest thing is to be yourself. I mean, athletes will quickly, uh, you know, see through anything. And, and, um, you know, I, I think there's so many books on leadership. There's so many, you know, things on how to be a coach and, you know, you, you can't learn it from a book and you, you have to, you know, leadership and respect comes from, you know, working hard and being yourself and being invested in your student athletes. And, and I think that if you try to be anything else besides yourself, you, you're, it, it said it's, uh, uh, the athletes see through it really, really quick. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that's hard, especially when you're young and you've got to make that switch over from being around the team as a, as a student athlete, like I was, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, change who I was. All I changed was the fact that, you know, uh, putting down some guidelines about, you know, where I was, was one place. And now as assistant coach is much different in, in, in my role. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, just being honest and upfront and forthright with the athletes and about, you know, who you are and what you're going to do and how you're going to hold them accountable, you know, changes things really, really quick. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I think that was my biggest advice to Topher is, is to be yourself because, you know, he's a great leader and uh, did a great job as a, as a student athlete and did a tremendous job for us as a coach. And actually speaking of the players gone coaches trend, well, on many of those teams, you initially had coached uh, coach Doug Dara and we have gotten the chance to speak with him multiple times. Really nice guy, really eloquent. Can you talk more about the relationship you have built with Coach Dara growing Cornell hockey over the past two decades or so? Yeah, I think that, you know, Doug was obviously a tremendous student athlete. He was a great player and had a great work ethic. But it was his personal uh, relationships that you could see him have. And when the job came, was open. You know, I'd hear and seen some previous coaches and, and I just thought Doug had a great temperament, great knowledge. And I, I just thought he, he's just one of those players that or one of those guys that, uh, you know, athletes would just gravitate, whether it was, uh, you know, women athletes or male athletes. It didn't really make a difference as that, you know, he was very knowledgeable. He was very invested. He was going to work really hard and, um, and he really cares about his student athletes. And, you know, and I think the biggest thing that Doug and I have had over the course of time is just a, you know, a great understanding of the fact that it's, it's Cornell hockey and mm-hmm. been able to, you know, um, share resources and, and forge a relationship that, 
has a mutual respect with both the men's and women's ice hockey team. And, and I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of programs across the country that kind of butt heads and, and you know, work in the opposite direction of each other. And, and with Doug, uh, we've been working, you know, in the same direction to have our athletes have a great experience and uh, have tremendous uh, facilities. And so when you get that kind of cooperation, you can move ahead much quicker. And uh, Doug has fulfilled that prophecy. I mean, he's a, uh, as I said, he's, he's someone who's uh, done a tremendous job and had great relationships, but at the same time, he's just got a real drive for excellence and success. And you can see that in, in the, in the way their teams play and the kind of athletes that he brings in. Certainly we'd absolutely agree with that. And, you know, of course we've gotten so many players on this podcast who have given their takes on what the mark of the true player is. I know uh, we had a, uh, Jerry Fiegel and Alex Router, who had quite an interesting take. And, uh, but now that we have you, Coach Schaefer, on the podcast, what do you think as a coach is the best quality that a player can have? Hockey sense would be the, the you know, I think the, the biggest thing. And, and uh, um, I mean, there, there's, there's every, every, all the physical uh, attributes are, are pretty, uh, pretty obvious, you know, for every athlete, but that they have, uh, hockey senses is probably the biggest attribute. It's the hardest to recruit, and it's the most important characteristic for an, for an athlete to be able to, you know, use his teammates uh, and, and and learn the game and read and react at a higher level than everybody else is uh, is paramount. And, and I think you know, off the ice, they're just being selfless. I mean, uh, you know, guys just being unselfish and willing to do anything they can. Uh, to win and, and be, do anything they can to help their teammates. So, um, you know, off the ice is definitely, you know, our, our, I think our ideal player is a guy that's just really, really selfless and, and uh, off the ice and, and uh, on the ice has just got uh, tremendous hockey sense, thinks the game really, really well. And, 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 and now, obviously, at, at the end of the day, points, goals, assists do matter. But, like, do you think in a certain way that if a player is contributing on the ice or off the ice in his own way, that that's just as important as well? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's uh, you know, a lot of guys that don't get any points have tremendous hockey sense. And I said they're selfless. I mean, they contribute in the, in the box score with blocking shots or, you know, um, you know, being a defensive defenseman or playing a role on the team and, you know, some of the best athletes and, and some of the guys that I'm closest to are, are, are not our superstars, aren't the guys that had, you know, all American or all league um, careers, but are guys that were real great role players and, and great culture guys, just because they, you know, they, they, they're such team players. And, uh, you know, I think that's the strength of Cornell hockey is not being surrounded by a bunch of guys that have egos, you know, about, you know, how good they are. Um, rather than a bunch of guys that really care about each other and care about Cornell and our hockey program. And, and I think that, uh, you know, they, they understand that it's not, you know, what goals and assists and points. And, you know, it's a way more, you know, uh, important to be a great teammate. Um, and, and that's the success of our program is, is to play together. And coaches, you obviously just said right now, you know, team unity goes a long way, miles. In fact, and we want to take it, of course, to the to this past year, because obviously fostering the right mindset is crucial for any team, of course. And we have heard that the big motto this year was dogs, no dogs. So can you speak to what that means to the team? Yeah, I mean, every every athlete knows, you know, who the best 
uh, players on the team are, you mm. know, they all know who the best goaltender is in any given situation or who the best six defensemen are, or the, the best 12 fours. And there, there might be some uh, disparity in the sense uh, or discrepancy and, and maybe one or two guys, but, um, and, and so you know, I, I think that, you know, my perspective can be one thing, but, you know, we always keep checking in with our guys and we talk to our guys. So, you know, when a guy comes and says, Hey, I want more playing time. And, you know, you've, you've checked in with your guys and everybody knows that he might be the, the 14th forward or the eighth defenseman or seventh defenseman. Um, and, and, and uh, cause I know players, they, they know, you know, if they're going to play in a championship game and uh, they, they know who they want out there uh, in order to win that game. And, and uh, so a lot of times we use that phrase, dogs, no dogs, players, no players. And they know exactly what's going on. And, and, uh, we always check in with our athletes to get their perspective just mm-hmm. to make sure as a coaching staff that we're not far off base. And, and uh, you know, I think that I've used that phrase for, for many, many years. And, you know, when, when guys are, you know, want to be on the power player, you know, and like, you know, you're not a power play person yet, or, um, you know, they want to kill penalties, but yet they haven't done it in practice yet. And they haven't done it well, you know, it's, so it's more than just about who plays, but it's also about, you know, ice time within games and, um, so we, we stay in touch with our athletes throughout the course of the year to make sure that we get their perspective and make sure that we're not falling off base as a, as a coaching staff. And, and they know when it gets down into that 12 forward, sixth uh, defenseman, um, they know that, you know, that's where the, the hard decisions come as a coaching staff. And, and then you're just trying to put a team together. And, you know, as a coach, as you change lines, you, one guy might just be better or better fitted because maybe they kill penalties or, you know, maybe they're, they're more physical or they're better defensively. So, um, you know, the, not, that you get into those, those, you know, I said those, those 12th forward and, and uh, six defensemen, you know, uh, that's where the coaching staff makes those kind of decisions, but uh, players really know who the, the better players are. Yeah. And, and so coach, would you say in some ways that the phrase dog, no do- uh, dogs, no dogs embodies like this idea of building team chemistry and building kind of a, a shared bond with one another, like having that connection between player and coach? Well, it does a little bit, but I think it's more about keeping guys and having great self-evaluation and being realistic about their abilities and not distracting the team when someone's disgruntled or, you know, they, they have many conversations between each other. And I, I think that uh, uh, that saying doesn't really, you know, I don't think really bind guys together rather than it. The, the saying is more about guys having a, a, a great self-accountability and knowing that, you know, if, if guys on the team have an honest conversation and say, yeah, you got to work harder to get in the lineup, you know, that honest conversation allows that athlete to get better rather than kind of live in a false sense of reality. And, uh, you know, so that those honest conversations with the coaching staff and, and the players themselves, it just allows, you know, people that want to get better uh, to kind of, you know, proceed forward and, and get better. So it, it uh, when you don't have those honest conversations, that's when it can start tearing a team apart, you know, where guys aren't, you know, you know, a guy comes and said, Hey, I, I think I'm, I'm, uh, you know, one of the best defensemen on our team. And he's really like the eighth defenseman and, and your leadership or people say, Oh yeah, you, you, I, we think you are too, but they don't really believe it in their heart. That's where that team chemistry can be pulled apart. So I don't really, it's, it's when there's an honest evaluation and talk, it can, it can help. But it, it has way far greater consequences when when guys aren't honest with their teammates in, in that in that scenario. Now, coach, 
when we think of the types of guys Cornell tends to recruit, it seems more oftentimes than not that Cornell, like, well, more than other schools for that matter, many other schools, attracts a majority of Canadian players. So why do you think that is? I think that used to be the case uh, 25 years ago. Uh, you know, I, I think that has gone by the wayside. I mean, you you look at Ian Shane's an American, you look at, you know, some of the guys in our team, you know, you go through and probably forget guys, but Jimmy Ray Hill's American, mm-hmm. yeah. camps from Chicago on our defense. Um, Jack Lagerstrom on defense is American. Tim Rigo's American. Yep. You know, Andre Pesnika is from the Czech Republic. You know, so, you know, there, there were Canadians where, you know, probably many years ago, we, we were all pretty much dominant by, by Canadians, but they didn't really make any difference now where the guys come from. So, um, I think that Canadians, uh, for us, for British Columbia kids, you know, the, the, the campus, the beautiful campus can remind those British public kids of the, you know, the beauty that exists in British Columbia, you know, guys in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, they really don't have allegiance to any particular college program. I mean, they're, they're going to travel somewhere to play college sports. So then they take Cornell for face value, a tremendous education, great crowd, you know, a lot of success, uh, um, like success as far as championships are concerned. And then you got Ontario, Ontario, um, Ottawa, Quebec, you know, which is close to us. It's only about, you know, four and a half, five hours to Montreal, four to Ottawa, four to Toronto. So location wise, it's pretty close, but nowadays we get kids from everywhere. I mean, you look at our incoming class, you know, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty diverse as far as who we get coming in. Uh, But we really, really, really don't, go into the year thinking, uh, you know, we just got to go to Canada. We go, you know, bro- across the country and, and, uh, and really kind of check even in the world, you know, over in Europe to, for the best players possible. And, um, you know, so that used to be, but no, not any longer. Yeah. And I, I guess speaking of going across the world for recruiting, you know, can you speak to your relationship with coach sire, you know, Benny's been here for years, but the process of bringing him over from, you know, working at Quinnipiac alongside uh, Coach Becknold, but you know, what, what, uh, how did you build build that relationship? Well, it was much of a relationship uh, to begin with. I think that, you know, every time there's an opening on your staff, you 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 talk to your assistant coaches that existed from from Topher Scott to Casey Jones to other guys that are on the road and see these guys and how they interact with the uh, with junior coaches, how they interact with other coaches. Can they? can they represent Cornell in the way you want them to be represent Cornell to be represented on the road and represent myself. And, you know, are they, uh, are they loyal? Are they, do they have a high integrity? And, and those questions you can't get in an interview. I mean, you're not going to bring a guy in and, and find out an interview and get the real answer. The only way you're going to do that is to research people and find out. And, you know, Benny's name kept coming to the forefront of guys that, you know, were, were one of the top assistants out there on the job at the time. And, you know, when he showed interest in the position, it was uh, really for me, it was kind of a no brainer because he he'd had such great support from other guys that have worked for me and, and talking to other guys, uh, you know, uh, that kind of just supported that uh, on the road. So he has all those characteristics that you want in a tremendous assistant coach and, and he's fulfilled that potential. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, well, if we look at uh, St. Lawrence and like you just said, uh, Casey Jones with Clarkson, Colgate and probably more, which we are forgetting. There are so many former players and coaches 
whom you worked with who are now coaches in the NCAA and, and, and not just the ECAC, but can you speak to your relationship now with, with, with these, well, I guess now competitors, but former colleagues of yours? No, I stay in really close touch with them. I mean, there's, there's, uh, um, you know, all the guys that, that worked here and, uh, even other guys I worked for a long time ago, you know, stay in touch with, with people and, you know, hockey's a really small world. And, and, um, at, at the same time, you know, just like, you know, you have a lot of acquaintances when you you guys are going to Cornell, right. I mean, but the, who you'll stay in touch with will be, you know, on one hand, I mean, I mean, in close touch with like, you know, um, you know, know everything about their family, what their kids are doing, you know, um, you know, just to reach out and talk once in a while. And, and uh, uh, you know, I think good friends, are, as said, are, um, you know, unlike Facebook and, or, or Meta now, you, 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 you people have a thousand, you know, friends on, on Facebook. I mean, they, they don't have a thousand friends. I mean, our close friends are a very uh, small number. So I stay in close contact with those guys over the course of time. And uh, we talk hockey. I mean, you know, we, we, in the off season, we'll discuss things. And um, during the year, we'll check in with each other personally, how things are going and, and to make sure that, that we're doing okay on a personal level. So um, yeah, th that contact is still pretty close. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm actually curious just because is there like, before the season, is there like an Ivy League coaches group chat, you know, where Ted Donato will say something and then you guys will just have a little back and forth banter before the season or is that not a Yeah, no, no, there's not a, not a group chat. I, as I said, I think guys kind of stay close to their the circles they run in, right? I mean, um, you know, Brent, Casey, they both work for me. Um, and in, in our league, really, I mean, that's, that's about it. I mean, um, you know, I, I think that, Ben probably has those same things, Reed Cashman and, and Rand Pecknall. Yeah, yeah. Guys that he's worked with, right? So, you know, we all, you know, uh, Sean Flanagan, you know, he played at St. Lawrence. So there's there's just going to be certain people that, um, as I said before, you're, you're just tight to. And, and uh, that's where your, a lot of your conversations occurred, you know, and, and everybody else is kind of a business colleague. You know, you know each mm -hmm. other, um, but they're, they're business colleagues. You, you just don't have that same kind of relationship yeah. Uh, that you do with people that you work with. Yeah. And coach, moving on to almost more slightly personal matters. Were there any coaches you played under in college or before that, that influenced what your coaching style has become or rather became? And if so, how so? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I've just like any other coach, I've stolen from everybody. Uh, yeah. And then you formulate your own opinion of how you want to coach. And, you know, so there's, there's lots of things. I mean, you know, personally, uh, you know, Lou Raycroft and Brian McCutcheon at Cornell. I mean, I, I took a lot from both of those guys about, uh, and it's not just them, it's, it's Bill Wilkinson at Western Michigan. And, uh, but, and, and a lot of my assistants, you take what you, you, you want and you disagree with other things, just no different than, than Casey and Brent, you know, they, they probably taken things from, from what I've done here at Cornell and, not agreed with some things that I've done, you know, within our, in our hockey program and, and they do it better. And, and I've done the same thing with, with our, our, uh, the coaches I work for. And, and I, yeah, I had three guys that are, you know, were really good and, and Lou Raycroft, Brian McCutcheon and Bill Wilkinson. And so, you know, I think that uh, they all had an influence on it. I think that um, really watching hockey a little bit, you know, I've 
I said I've stolen from just about everywhere. I've loved to watch the Red Wings of, uh, you know, the the early 90s and mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Took a lot from that, uh, how they used to play. And um, so it's, it's uh, you know, probably the, one of the biggest influences. My junior coach, before I came to Cornell, he was kind of ahead of his time. Uh, Don McKee, who was a guy that uh, he played a five-man European system that, you know, really no one really talked about. Only the European teams did it, you know, and I haven't had the guts to do it at the college level yet because mostly we, we just, you know, we're constantly, guys are constantly getting hurt. And, um, you know, I thought about doing it. We had different systems and, um, I, you know, I give the guy a lot of credit. He did a lot of things that I still haven't had the, haven't had the guts to try yet. Maybe before I retire, I'll try it. But, um, you know, he, he, he's been, he was an outstanding influence on me. Um, but also a lot of players. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, I think you, you find out a lot, a lot about athletes that how they want to be treated and, and you talk to them about, you know, coaches they've had that have had a big influence on them and, and you find out why, and then you try to steal from, you know, from those ideas. And I go back to what, what fits into your personality, how you you're going to coach. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you really have had an influence of a lot of different people um, with regards to developing, a, you know, how I want to coach. Yeah. And of course, you just mentioned uh, briefly that you had um, you made a very, very tough decision initially after you were an assistant coach here and you decided to go to WMU for a brief stint. So what was that process like for you? And additionally, like what made you want to come back? Well, coming back was because the job was open, you know, you know, that's, you know, as a coach, I found myself very, very lucky at that time. I mean, I was only really nine years as an assistant coach and the Cornell job became available. And, and so I was lucky in that way, but I, I left because I wanted to work at a, you know, I, I knew Bill Wilkinson. He's from the same area in Ontario uh, that I'm from. Um, some guys that I knew really well, uh, Terry Feinigan and Wayne Wilson, who's the head coach at RIT right now. Um, they knew me from the road. They knew me from playing junior hockey. Um, and so Western Michigan had scholarships. I mean, they, they played in a different league and I wanted to get out of the ECAC and see a different style of hockey and what it was like to, I said, work with, with, with scholarships and, and, you know, and develop myself as a, as a coach going into a different league. So, you know, they'll, they'll, working for a tremendous man and, and Bill Wilkinson, he taught me that you can be successful in this business, but still have a life balance with, with family. And, and uh, I've always been really grateful for him that, he was really competitive. He, he did a lot of things to win, but he never took his eye off his uh, wife and kids in the sense of making sure he paid attention to, you know, what was most important in his life. And that was his family. Yeah, certainly. Of course. Now coach having been at Cornell for so long, you've seen the team through thick and thin and through good years and bad years. And of all the championships and NCAA tournament bids that you've had with the big red, is there one run in particular or one team that stands out the most to you? You know, I don't think any, I mean, every team stands out to me in the sense of, you know, it's like asking who your favorite player is. And, you know, it's kind of really not an an unfair question. It's a, you know, a question you get asked a lot. And, you know, and to me, I, I really don't have a favorite player or a favorite team. You know, I've I really enjoyed, you know, um, I've really enjoyed all the, the different championships that, I, that I've had. And, um, you know, and, and so there, there is a really, really isn't one favorite. I mean, 
um, every year, I, I, you know, um, you know, it, probably the, my, the, the other end of that question is some unfavored, you know, you know, t- years that didn't go well, that was be the last three for me, <laughs> you know, I think that the COVID being shut down and then not your play, not practicing or playing last year. And then, you know, for me, just personally, just not being able to finish the season, those back to back to back seasons, it hasn't left a great taste in my mouth, but before that every year, um, you know, has been, you know, for its only reason, own reasons has been my favorite. And, um, it was whatever you take out of it. So wish I had one for you, but, uh, there's been a lot of great teams, a lot of great players and a lot of great memories over the years. No, that's a, that's actually a perfect response to that question. You know, it kind of cuts against the stereotype, at least from the outside as a fan, you, you kind of sort of buy into the stereotype that college hockey is kind of like a machine. And that after every year you get a graduating class of seniors, new, uh, new class of freshmen, and you're just looking ahead to next year. But that's kind of seems like, we're trying to cut against that here at Cornell, cutting against the grain. And and now uh, I suppose um, this year's team is very unique in that we had three fifth years um, seniors. And furthermore, the team has seen a lot of players in the past decide to take uh, their career to the next level, either leaving early or signing after they graduate. But like when these players come to you for advice, you know, that's a very big decision. So like what what advice do you give to these players who, who, who come to you for that kind of advice? Well, I, I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of people giving them advice at that particular time. There's advisor, uh, their, their, their fellow players, their, um, you know, their parents, you know, and I, I think a lot of times it has to, it ends up being, you know, um, over the course of time, you know, a lot, you know, I think that there's always the, the, the thought that, when you give a guy advice and I've given some guys advice, that's, it's their time to leave. I mean, it, it, they're, they're ready. And there's other times where you tell guys they're, they're not ready and they end up leaving. And then there's guys you tell that they're not ready and they stay. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's such a personal decision. Um, but it, my, my, my advice to them all the time is that you can never, ever get the fourth year back of, at, at Cornell with their experiences, with their, their, with their, their classmates, their, the experience of senior night, the experience of graduating, the experience of, you know, going and finishing your college career. And, and, you know, you look at a lot of the guys that have gone on here from, from, uh, um, you know, guys that uh, um, Matt Molson and Colin Greening and, you know, uh, Doug Murray and guys that have had an NHL career. I mean, they've done it, but they, they stayed four years and, but they were on, you know, even those guys, they were under the premise what they made big money if you if they signed early. Like the difference now is, you know, I remember Jean-Marc Pelche way back when he was a sophomore, the, his signing bonus was huge. And I was like, yeah, time to get out of here, man. Like, you know, like they're offering you that much money. It's, you know, get out of here before they change their mind, you know, and, and uh, kind of jokingly because the money was so big. But now it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a lot different. So you give them the best advice you can and have a relationship with them, but it, it comes right down to a personal decision. And, uh, you know, but the hawk pro hockey is such, you know, if you told me Morgan, Morgan Barron wouldn't have played more games by now in the NHL, I would have told you you're crazy. You know, like there, there's a guy that's physically, mentally uh, ready to play in the NHL. And it just goes to show you how hard it is to, to to crack the lineup and play in the NHL. And 
So it, it's a personal decision and one that all guys go for their own reasons. And, and when they make it, they, they should never look back and away they go, which most of them do. Actually, Coach. A big shout out to our boy Morgan Barron there. He just had a goal um, against the Seattle Kraken. So no, he's having himself a time, I'll say. That's exactly what I wanted to address. And also the fact that, you know, speaking of which, you know, in this penultimate question over your coaching career, you've been able to work with many NHL draft picks or players who, who went undrafted and made it to the big leagues regardless. So in your opinion, what does it take to make it to the top level of hockey? Well, I think you have to have something special. Like, like you just, you just got to have a one special talent that, you know, um, that's going to carry at that level. And whether that's, you know, a guy like Doug Murray who had like superhuman strength, like, and never coached a player that was stronger than him or Matt Moles, who had just God given ability to score goals. Um, you know, you have to have something special that gives you an edge because there's so many good players, you know, across the, across the world. And, you know, I think that, uh, I think that's one. I think two, you have to have a mental toughness that's, you know, beyond um, you know, what most student athletes have or both athletes have, because it's such a difficult process to get there, stay there and have a career and to be able to believe in yourself, not beat yourself up, overcome adversity, um, know that you're better than other people and, and uh, that you deserve to be there. I think that, you know, that mental toughness is a huge part of it. And, um, you know, so I think that probably those two things, having something special, because there's, there's so many players that are talented, um, but having just an unbelievable mental toughness, um, you know, goes, it goes a long, long way. So coach, would I be right in saying that you said, of course, mental, t- mental uh, tenacity, but you would also suggest that a player become almost a, a, basically the opposite of a jack of all trades, master of none, basically master one form of let's put it in hockey art. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that they have to be the master of all trades, but they have to have a special trait. And okay. you know, so, like, it, 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 as I said, like Dur- Doug Murray was a complete package, right? Like he mm. was competitive. He was great hockey sense. He, he was a great teammate, you know, um, you know, he was a tremendous skater, um, but he had tremendous, you know, what set him apart that gave him a chance to play with his, was his strength. And, you know, a lot of guys that, uh, as I said, a lot of guys can skate, they're good size. They, they can shoot the puck. I mean, they, they have a lot of the characteristics. You, you definitely can't have a huge flaw in your game. Uh, so you, you gotta be, you gotta be, you know, the NHL, you, they gotta trust you. The NHL coaches, that's the one thing they gotta know when they put you on the ice, that they can trust you, that you're going to be, you're going to know what you're doing. And, but at the same time to beat somebody else out, you got to be really mentally tough and uh, you got to have something a little bit different than the other. So whether it's, whether you can fight, whether you're more physical, whether you're, you know, you can score, whether you're, you know, big time player, uh, something in there has got to carry the day for for those athletes. Mm -hmm. And coach, of course, bit of a deep question here we usually save hard-hitting closers for the upcoming slap shot round but given how long you've been coaching Cornell and with so much historic success 
already under your belt. What motivates you to bring back your fearless leadership to liner rink season after season? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I love what I do. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, I got in this business because because you just love it. And, and mm -hmm. uh, I think the athletes themselves going in and having a relationship with our staff is one. You know, two, I just having an ability to connect with these guys that, that come in here, seeing how hungry they are, see how they want to win, how, how hard they want to work. You know, it just, it, uh, it keeps you young. It keeps you going to the rink and, and, you know, and those kind of relationships uh, uh, definitely keeps you young at, at what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. And I've always said that the, the day that I'm not competitive at it, or I, you know, that, that I wake up, it's like, it's a, it's, it's, it's a pain to go to the rink. Um, or jump on the bus for those long trips. It'll be the day I get out, but I'm nowhere near that right now. I mean, I enjoy what I do and enjoy the relationships that I have with our student athletes. And uh, I love going to coach and, and, and uh, doing the job. I mean, I don't like the, the, you know, starting to dislike the six hour, you know, flights to <laughs> Western Canada and, and that stuff. But once I get there, I love the, I love hanging out and, and recruiting and talking to people about Cornell. And uh, so I still have the passion for it. Uh, but it, it mostly comes from the, the student athletes themselves. I mean, um, you know, just to see if they can, you know, complete that journey and, and win and win a championship and have great success. Well, coach, as the saying goes, choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. So it this seems is true. It seems like you're quite exemplary of that. But of course, with that, thank you so much for your time on the Sinbin. But you listeners already know what's up next. It is the Slapshot Round right after this. All right, welcome to the Slapshot Round, where we ask hard-hitting, fun questions and have you answer them as quick as you can. So, per tradition, we always got to ask the first one. Are you good to go, coach? I'm ready to roll. All right, all right. So, coach, we would be remiss to not mention that with 499 wins, 500 wins is one away, of course. So, do you think there will be any big celebrations or plans once that day arrives? I notice. <laughs> no celebrations. Come on, coach. Come on. <laughs> you said you want them quick. There's quick. I... <laughs> hey, yeah, that's no, 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 no. That that's is a quick fair. response. That is fair. Maybe we'll arrange something, you know, on behalf of the Big Red Hockey cast. Just maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, Coach, a common theme that we've been talking about in this first season, it almost sounds a little weird to say now, we spoke about that Alec McCray goal. Was that the loudest that you've ever seen, Lina? Uh, it, it's right up there. There's lots of, uh, um, lots of times as, as a coach that, you know, Mike Kenny scored in overtime. I remember Brian Furlan scored in overtime. There's other, other great uh, moments at, at Lina where the place was absolutely rocking, but that's, that's right up there with uh, many moments over the years. Yeah. And, and again, it's one of those it historic is. moments. It's just like imprinted basically into all our brains, especially now, again, first yeah. season, one of the more common themes. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And of course, you know, coach, we have to bring this up because, you know, you yourself played here at Cornell as well. And, you know, I guess if you could go back in time, like to, to relive your glory days as a player and lay one more hit 
on the boards against a player from any college hockey program, which one would it be and why? Wow. That is a good one. Really, never really targeted anyone in particular. So, okay. Um, you know, it's uh, don't really know which which uh, I don't really have didn't really have a favorite one. You know, but it's probably the best players I played against. Adam Oates, maybe from RPI. Oh. You know, I him a few times in junior hockey, and uh, uh, he he was a tremendous player. But he's hard to he was hard to get because you know he was so smart and, and had his head up. So. Um, I would try, but might not get him. But he, he's he's a great player. Yeah, no, certainly. And I, I guess based off of that, you know, what would be your what is like consistently your favorite away rink to play in? When I was a player or as a coach, uh, it could be both. I would say right now, Mass and Square Gardens. I mean, it's it's a uh, yep. Um, going there and seeing the crowd, seeing our alumni, uh, it's just a tremendous experience. I mean, it's just again, embodies everything about Cornell, the, the, you know, the atmosphere, the, the big city, you know, um, you know, seeing our athletes going out there and, and seeing all the, the sea of red of, of, of Cornell alumni, it's just, you know, it gives you goosebumps every time uh, that you go on the ice for that game. No, oh, go ahead, Alex. Oh, no, 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 you take control. All right, my bad about that. Now, of course, Coach, this may be a semi-loaded question, but again, I did warn that there were going to be a little bit of hard hitters out there. You know, there have been multiple sibling duos to play for Cornell over the years. Now, you know, sometimes a parent says, you know, you know, both of you are my favorite children, you know. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? I, I really don't. I mean, um, the guy I, I, I loved to watch play the most was uh, Greg Hornby um, mm. when he played for me because, um, I mean, he, he, when he hit the ice, something, something good was going to happen for us, and it wasn't usually a goal. Uh, but he was probably one of the most feared guys uh, in our league. So I, I, I re- kind of related the most to a guy like Greg Hornby or Doug Murray and the, the physicality um, of the way those two guys played. But uh, great guys, but I really didn't have – you know, one particular favorite guy over the course of time. All right. And, then, and uh, I, I, I guess to follow that up, you know, which player from this season's team would have best fit, like, uh, would have best fit in during your time with the Big Reds in the early 80s? Or, like, in other words, who do you think is, like, has, or who on the team is the oldest soul? Oldest soul. I don't know. Um, probably Max Andreev is probably like, you know, a throwback kind of speaks his mind. And, uh, mm-hmm. he's probably a really competitive kind of goes over the edge once in a while, yeah. which kind of seemed to carry along with the eighties a little bit, you know, with, mm-hmm. with regards to it. So, um, he'd be right up there. Yeah. Yeah. My bet was either going to go for him or, or him or Motley. So, you know, it's a toss up there. Now, Coach, I just given the fact that I also broadcast sports here at Cornell on behalf of the Ivy League on ESPN, which includes softball, baseball, and soccer, I was just curious to ask, you know, besides Cornell hockey, which other teams on campus do you like to go and watch and or support? Yeah, I mean, it, over the years, it's, it's, lately, it's been, we're always recruiting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, I, for me, I, I, I love watching the sport. I love what I grew up playing a little bit in box lacrosse. I love uh, uh, watching basketball. Uh, good sport for, for me. Uh, probably weird that people wouldn't think would be softball. Um, I loved watching uh, the women's softball. I played it growing up and I've always uh, enjoyed uh, going to their games and, and watching them play. So uh, those are probably the sports that, you know, I, I enjoy watching, watching the most so just as a, as a spectator. Well, coach, I know there's a softball doubleheader this upcoming Tuesday. I'll actually be broadcasting on that one. So maybe I get to see you right there in the stands. And also, I want to give yourself a shout, uh, a shout out, Sean. Maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> and I know uh, the lacrosse team actually here at Cornell just recently were crowned champions of the Ivy League. Congrats to them after beating Princeton 18-15, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's great for them. I mean, going on the road, it was a huge win. I mean, it's uh, um, yeah, I think that uh, for them, they, they had a little bit of a kind of up and down, right down the stretch drive and. Um, I, I'm not sure what would have happened if they would have lost that game. I don't know if they would have even made the Ivy League tournament. So Ivy League cross is really strong this year. And, and for them to get a piece of that Ivy League title is great for Cornell and, and great for that coaching staff. It's a little weird, too, since we dropped in rankings, I believe, from, I believe, eighth to ninth. A weird sort of system there. But, hey, you know, it doesn't speak to our levels, I suppose. Exactly. And I, I guess, Coach, this is a little uh, random, but, you know, as, as this is the slap shot round, um, I was going to ask, you know, uh, what is your favorite Finger Lake? Because I know you live in the Finger Lakes region. What's your favorite one for Finger Lakes? Well, you'd have to say uh, Cayuga because we live on it. Uh, of course, of course. But, you know, <laughs> I think that uh, I love Cuca too. I mean, I've biked around it a couple uh-huh. I think it's a really neat lake, a little bit smaller, and and uh, uh, but you got to go with Cuga just because we we live on. No, no, no. Oh yeah, it's it's obligatory. It's obligatory. I know Seneca Lake doesn't have anything on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I mean, uh, on top of that, I guess we can follow it up with uh, favorite local food spot. Well, I can get myself in trouble because I know so many people here in town, so I'm gonna. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. You know, okay. No worries. Wanna... No worries. I've been in this town a little bit too long to throw that one out on. on oh, the, okay, on, okay, okay. So, so that so that shall remain secret. No, no, no. It's a, I wish they'd bring it back, but it was the in, in biotech, so I could just walk, you know, twenty steps to lunch. But it, it's gone now. So. Oh no. Oh well, yeah, that's. And now, how about? Uh, do you have any pregame rituals like eating a certain food or listening to music? I know we've talked with a couple. Um, players and they often say that well actually the most of them have said that they don't have any sort of interesting pregame rituals but like what the, do you have any pregame habits that you do yeah i kind of follow, I follow a, a pretty uh, similar yeah i think that there are certain things you need to get through as a coach and I, I learned as a especially as a young coach that it wasn't like a player where it was kind of superstitious it was just a routine so i make sure i got everything done that i needed to get done um, who I needed to talk to, what I needed to do for our team to get them, um, you know, a scout report, you know, talk to our assistant coaches, talk to whoever. So it's, it's more of a routine, um, you know, but I love, uh, you know, I love taking a little pregame nap in the afternoon because, you know, everybody thinks it's a, it's a superstitious, but <clears throat> as a coach, it gets a, uh, when I had small kids, it was, you know, 
it was one time I'd be able to get a, a chance to catch a nap because you, in the hours, uh, kind of roll all into one on, on a weekend. So uh, it started off uh, with young kids, and and now we've got the amount of hours put in. I'd love to get my afternoon nap on a late day of a game. That certainly sounds like a, a, a very good pregame habit to get into. And maybe talking a little bit about pregame, and of course, this has been a running gag so far here on the Big Red Hockey Cast. What do you think about Liam Motley's music taste? Do you like it? I stay away from uh, the uh, any, any music taste of these guys. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> they have they have their own uh, you know playlist guy that, that puts their music on, but I'm strictly a country guy. So I mean, I, I love country western, but. That music doesn't hit the uh, the sound waves too often in our locker room, so um, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure of a comment about anything about Liam uh, that that would uh, you know serve it any kind of justice. Otley loves good country music. I know we had an interesting discussion about that because I am also a diehard country music fan. Would give anything to go see um, a good country music concert. So I am so happy you said that, Coach. Um, and I guess um, to follow that up, what is the biggest, or excuse me, the biggest compliment uh, somebody could give to one of your hockey teams? Like, what what is the ultimate like form of praise? Is it like you know just fans appreciating the guys on senior night, or what, what is it? I think when when people talk about our hockey, they just say you know if it's opponents or other people, that how hard how we're how hard we are to play against. I mean, I think that's. Uh, you know, I think that embodies everything that you want as an athlete is that, you know, you want your competitors to respect you for, you know, how hard you play and, and, and how difficult it is to play Cornell. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's one. I think the second one would be over the course of time, how consistent our teams have been over the last uh, 27 years, that we're always, we're always in the hunt no matter what throughout the course of the season. And, uh, you know, I think that's uh, another compliment. Um, you know, I think for our guys, I love getting compliments on how how our guys handle themselves. About you know, when you get a call from you know a restaurant saying how they love to thank people, and um, you know, it, 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 those kind of things just you know uh, are awesome when you hear from people where you know the players aren't being watched, and um, you know just how they handle themselves on a day to day basis, and and you get those compliments about them. That's uh, that makes the that makes the workday pretty special when you get those things that, that come across your desk. And yeah, no, certainly. And then I guess to follow that up, you know, you talk about what it's like to be young and be on the team as during your time with the big red, but what do you have a favorite memory from your time when you were playing as a, as a player? Yeah. I, I think that winning the championship in Boston garden will be, was, oh, yeah. uh, Believe in, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was the first overtime or double overtime. But we win, winning in Boston Garden with uh, a group of guys that uh, uh, in my senior year. So it was it was outstanding. You know, uh, you know, it was, it was just a it was a tremendous uh, night. And, and uh, you know, it's funny because I stayed at the Royal Sinesta for uh, uh, for the NCAA tournament down there in Boston Garden just recently. And, I took a picture and sent it to all my classmates. Uh, you know, I hadn't been back there since, uh, you know, 86. And, you know, it was funny how many guys, you know, remember staying there because it was just kind of, 
you know, uh, at that time, it just kind of stuck in your mind, you know, about it was a great, uh, a great event, uh, a great experience. And, and so that's what you play for. And it was, uh, um, it was fortunate enough my senior year to get it done. Now, coach, we've been discussing about this, us at the Big Red Hockey Cast family here, but who do you think is most likely to take home the Stanley Cup as playoffs? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I think there's some, uh, uh, I'm going to say it's good, definitely coming out of the East. I'm going to pick right. Calgary and Florida as my two, uh, uh, Calgary and Florida is my two dark horses to be in the, in the uh, Stanley Cup, and I'm going to go with Florida as the, as the winner. Um, I really, really right. throwing it out there, um, you know, and, and uh, Calgary has been pretty good all year. Um, I think Tampa has got it done the last two years. I wouldn't be surprised if they won it again, but got to go something different this year. Yeah, we know, uh, we know our producer Mike is betting hard against the Bolts losing, uh, and <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, yeah, and then having them advance to the second round again because uh, he's a diehard Leafs fan. Yeah, I'm a diehard Leafs fan too, but but hopefully, keep our fingers crossed, Michael. This year is the year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, certainly. I know, Sean. It is definitely not your year for the Devils. No, it's it's never my year for the Devils. It hasn't been since like 2012. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. Hey, yeah. one day, one day, maybe yeah. it'll take another decade. That's all right. I'm not going anywhere. I don't think they'll be either. But hey, <laughs> of course, with that topic, moving on. Coach, any thoughts on Canadian foods? Again, that's another like running gag that we have here. And of course, we know that Coach Sire himself loves ketchup on everything. He also loves butter tarts. Oh, yeah. Benny Sire, definitely a, he's definitely a butter tart guy. I've traveled with him enough. He's eaten enough butter tarts across the country. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, and, and he loves a Swiss chalet. If, 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 I don't know if he told you, but he could eat Swiss chalet with rib sauce uh, at any particular time. But by far, as uh, you know, chips and dip. Yeah. Chips and, uh, French onion dip in Canada. That's the best. Ooh, okay. I know. Mm. Let's see. What's the, I'm trying to think of what Canadian things I have tried. I know I've tried again, well, I have yet to try the ketchup chips, Michael. I'm waiting on that. Michael, you got, you got to like smuggle that over, over the Northern border for me. Come on. And I know we, what was, what's that? Um, the all dressing chip called, what's it called? All dressed. All dress. Okay. Look at that, Michael. See, I'm slowly learning now. I have tried that. You know what? It's pretty good. I have to confess. It's pretty good. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, just spending my uh, actually second official time in Toronto uh, over the weekend, I, I got myself a, a beaver tail and a uh, some poutine. So I, I, I'm liking what uh, I'm liking. It. That was great. Yeah. And It'll then give you a heart problem like I had. Oh, 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 yeah, that. No, I, <laughs> I it's it's too rich for me. It, I couldn't finish it all. But I, I, I guess, you know, onto something a little bit more lighter. Uh, Coach Schaefer, what what is an ideal day like for you? Like what? Like. When you wake up, you say, ah, oh, this is going to be a perfect day. When you imagine what a perfect day is like for you as a coach, what do you imagine? I think game day is the perfect day. I mean, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, just going in, preparing, seeing the guys prepare, you know, getting a little bit of break and then going back and 
and watching our athletes go through, uh, um, you know, through competition and line of rank in the crowd. And, um, you know, that's during the season. In the summer, perfect day to go golfing and then jump on my boat for the, for the, uh, and uh, just relax for the whole day. That would, that would be a second perfect day. But uh, in season is definitely game day. Out season is definitely a little bit of golf in the morning and then be on the boat for the rest of the day. So, um, you know, those are, uh, the, those two days, uh, don't come around enough. There is nothing wrong with a little lake relaxation during the summer. That is, is perfectly acceptable. And now I, I guess I'll follow it up with, uh, speaking of sort of vacations, you know, what's your favorite place to travel to could be for hockey or for any other reason. Uh, you know, I, I really don't have any, uh, you know, favorite places. I, I, I really love the national parks, uh, uh, in Western Canada or Western United States. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm kind of still looking forward to going to like Glacier National Park or going to, uh, um, you know, going, going to Utah and to see all the, the national parks in Utah and, and Arizona. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love to travel, you know, uh, recruiting, I've enjoyed going to Italy, uh, a couple of times that, uh, you know, I've been there and, and so, but United States and Canada, the national parks is, is definitely, uh, an area I love. And now I guess I'll follow it up. I'll switch it up a little bit. What is the favorite drill that you have that you like to do with the boys in practice? Um, Favorite drill, you know, for me, uh, not for them, um, but I love, I love, you know, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. I love guys when they, I watch them battle. Um, I got two-on-two or three-on-three. -three. Any type of drill where it's competitive, uh, you know, to see guys uh, uh, compete is uh, definitely the, the, the favorite part of my practice. Mm -hmm. Notice how he said before, he prefaced it. He's like, this is, this is mine. <laughs> it's not theirs. <laughs> Exactly. You know, some of them that that's, that's what they enjoy the most too, is when they, they get through all the other drills and then they get to that. And that's when they, that's when you see a lot of guys really start to smile is, is that, you know, they get into it where the competitive aspect comes out for them. Now, coach, out of curiosity, because you're such a historic figure here within Cornell university, and I wouldn't be surprised also in the city of Ithaca, I was just wondering, do you get recognized around Ithaca? Yeah, by hockey fans, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> You've been here long enough that, uh, you know, that, that's going to that's gonna happen. Um, you know, and I think that hockey plays a, a, such a big part of the Ithaca community um, that there's no question that, you know, people are passionate about the game. They're passionate about, you know, the, the sport of hockey. So, you know, it, it happens and, and, uh, um, and it's such a small town too. So it's, it's a, inevitable that it's going to happen. And now coach, before we actually close out the slap shot round, I think I speak on both the behalf of Alex and I, as well as the entire big red hockey cast family, as well as big red sports network as a whole, that it's been incredible. It's been awesome having you on and that, you know, hopefully we can have you on again next season as you know, we have so much more that we would love to talk with you about, but, of course, before we go on to those sorts of aspirations, a nice, maybe hard-hitting closer, a little sentimental perhaps, 
but what is the most memorable game you had as a player and perhaps as a coach as well? Um, well, before I go on there, thank you guys for doing this. And it's, a uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, with, with social media and the lack of, you know, newspaper coverage in, in the Ithaca area, obviously, uh, you know, this has kind of been allowed, I think our, our people that follow hockey to get to know our, our athletes, our alumni and, and our coaching staff a little bit, you know, on a deeper level. So appreciate the work that you guys have put into the, to this, uh, podcast and, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really important for our program. So, so thank you. And, and, uh, I think probably one of the biggest games that, that I played in and one of the most memorable would be also not the Boston garden, but also a game that we came back and, uh, we went down four, nothing against Harvard. We came back and beat them six, five, might've been my sophomore year. And, and, uh, um, you know, they, you asked me if that was the loudest I ever heard, you know, I can honestly, just because probably I played, that was the loudest I've ever, um, ever heard probably one of my favorite games that I've, that I've ever coached in would be the Wisconsin Cornell uh, game uh, that went into triple overtime out in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. We ended up losing one, nothing uh, with a high level of hockey in that game, the competitiveness and being on the road and getting a chance to go on to the, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it was, it was, uh, um, it was a pretty exciting game, but uh I think just being Boston College in overtime to go to the Frozen Four would be would be the the one that would stick to my mind. Um, you know, we, we had failed in, in a couple of different ways in the sense of losing that game, that quarterfinal game, um, to get to the Frozen Four at that time, probably scoring one in, in overtime to get get there uh, was a, was a great moment. Well, Coach, to put it very lightly, you pretty much described absolutely or simply electrifying sensational moments that again i mean it's historic moments and i think this also testifies to your historic character here like i said earlier within cornell university in fact i would argue that when someone thinks about cornell university big red hockey you're probably one of the images that is most synonymous with this idea so again coach just thank you again for sharing your time with us today and, you know, for making this possible in the first place, you know, we, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate all the work you've done, you've done for this. Alex, I believe I speak on not only both our behalves, but also on the behalf of the entire Big Red Hockey Cast family when I say that hopefully we could get Coach back on again in the not-so-distant future. It was a surreal experience talking with him, again, given his incredible impact on Cornell hockey culture and the overall culture of this university. I mean, it's almost hard not to feel a little a tad starstruck around him but as you heard he's not only an extremely dedicated world-class coach but he is also a witty and wise man who cares deeply about those around him which includes but of course is not limited to you know his student athletes and his fellow coaching staff so coach thank you again for everything you do for Cornell hockey and for your time with us and we'd also like to extend a huge thank you to the entire Cornell hockey staff and players and alumni across season one 
that made this awesome experience possible. And a special thank you to Coach Shane Tallarico for helping us get into contact with these Cornell hockey big names. We couldn't have done it without you. Of course, with that being said, we have to thank you, the listener, as well for sharing your time with us. We greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate the hours you've spent listening to us, all 25 episodes now. I mean, satiating your hunger for some Cornell Big Red Hockey insight has been an immense privilege. And on behalf of my BRSN comrades, we will continue to do so. Of course, across season one, we were able to develop a tight-knit family that allowed us to cohesively work as a unit, banter as friends, and produce the best quality possible for this podcast. So we'd like to extend a warm thank you to our producers, Michael Farku, Mike Seitz, and Jay Klein. We'd also like to thank Gabby Nevin, Sophia Prieto, Ben Rudoy, and John Ashbrook for their expansive work across the season. Again, we couldn't have done it without you guys. So on behalf of Alex, myself, and everyone here on this podcast, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Big Red Hockey Cast for and from the line of faithful. This has been a Big Red Sports Network production. BRSN is a student-run organization dedicated to promoting the voices of Cornell student-athletes. Make sure to check out at CornellBRSN on Instagram and www.CornellBRSN.com. Now remember, this isn't a goodbye, just a ciao-ciao for now.